You're listening to the Getting Social Podcast, a keep it real type podcast where we discuss entrepreneurship, marketing, and all kinds of social topics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Getting Social Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Spalacard, and this is episode number 18. With 15 years of experience working in the interactive television and print industries, developing and delivering innovative customer experiences, Randy Dickerson hits one of the highest points of his career after winning an Emmy Award as the creative director for Turner Sports. Like a roller coaster, he then hits the lowest point of his career by losing his job. In this episode, we talk big picture as Randy shares his perspective after being told he would no longer be working as a creative director. As a result, he gets the chance to pursue his true passion for art, also finding a silver lining in the process. Turns out, Randy is an incredibly talented artist, and I'm sure that we will be hearing more about his art than about his Emmy Award. I invite you all to check out his art on his website, rld-studio.com, also displayed in the show notes. Without further ado, it's time to get social. All right, Randy. Well, first of all, thank you for accepting my offer to be a guest on the Getting Social podcast. We'll start off by asking you about your background and for you to share your journey with us, leading to your creative director role at Turner Sports. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, it's a pleasure for me to be a part of this. I've actually never done a podcast that I can recall, <laughs> one that was ever published anyway. And yeah, I'm happy to be here. So my background is, is kind of long, for, uh, you know, that tells a little bit about my age. I um, grew up in Alabama in the 70s and 80s not really knowing what I wanted to do. I ended up at the University of Alabama where I studied graphic design. And uh, we can get into that at some point. I had sort of an epiphany as a kid where I kind of realized that I was interested in art and creativity. And from there, you know, it was just kind of off and running. Um, after I graduated from college, I ended up, uh, my first job was as a broadcast designer at CNN, which was, you know, nuts in itself. It was kind of a crazy experience frankly, because I didn't even know those jobs existed, really. Uh, and it was kind of eye-opening, you know. And from there, I spent about three years working at CNN. I ended up designing my first website for Sports Illustrated while I was there. I left CNN, did some digital work in uh, a local agency in Atlanta for about three years, and got laid off, actually, uh, after the, the sort of internet bubble busted. And um, I found myself doing freelance for about a year, Meandered around, ended up uh, getting a job as a creative director at Dover Motorsports, uh, working behind the scenes uh, at a NASCAR track, which was kind of crazy as well. And ended up moving back to Atlanta, worked in another small digital agency for about three years, and then finally got an opportunity to go to Turner Sports in 2008. And, you know, stayed there for almost 12 years and sort of worked my way up through the ranks and ended up being the creative director over the digital team, managing a team about 25 people. Um, it was, it was fantastic. So yeah, that's where we are or where we were until last year. So yeah, well, something, um, really caught my attention here. Well, a lot of things caught my attention, but one thing really stood out is that you said that you did not, you were not aware that some of those jobs were even available. That's right. Can you describe a little bit about 
that job in CNN, what you really did there as a designer? Sure. Um, well, I, I would actually back up. I would say I would start with the fact that I didn't even know graphic design was a thing. You know, I grew up in Alabama, you know, like I said, in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, when you went to college back then, you were going to be a lawyer, a doctor, you know, a teacher, hmm. something like that. And so, mm-hmm. um, in fact, the expectations weren't even that high for most people. Most people, there are just looking to try, you know, to find a, a good, solid job locally even. And and then in college, I kind of stumbled upon graphic design and it was very eye-opening to me. But then it made total sense, right? Because I started to see, well, there's all this stuff around me that's been designed and someone has to do that. So mm-hmm. um, it was kind of a no-brainer at that point. But even in college, you know, I was still focused. It was a time when computers were starting to first sort of show up on the scene. So a lot of graphic design was done by hand and then with, you know, in camera. And so we were still learning that stuff in school. And it was sort of a transition period to start using computers and tools like that. And and I actually ended up running the computer lab at the University of Alabama for a while. And you know, became, I kind of had two educations going, you know, I had the education where I was learning in the classroom about the fundamentals of design, but I was learning on my own how to set up computers, you know, use Photoshop, set up a scanner, set up a printer. I became sort of like the local, you know, go-to person for the computer software and how to work those machines. And I also worked for the school doing design work. And I was learning a lot um, doing those, that stuff as well. So I guess, the thinking was, well, you'll be a traditional designer when you get out of school and you'll do logos and letterheads and business cards and posters. And, you know, if you're lucky, maybe you'll work on a movie title or something like that. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, I didn't really think I had still, again, it was probably my naivete, but I really didn't even still think that, you know, there was jobs in television doing design. So the job at CNN was kind of strange. I mean, I walked in off the street, literally me and my roommate, both um, looking for work here in Atlanta at the time and gave my resume to a security guard, you know, working in the, in the lobby of the CNN center and said, you know, Hey, do you guys have a design department? And again, even then I was thinking it's going to be, you know, internal, you know, memos and things like that. And, uh, and anyways, they called us back and we both ended up getting jobs there within two or three weeks. And our jobs were both as broadcast designers. So we were working on, you know, Larry King Live and uh, the news, of course, um, Moneyline. And I essentially worked on just about every show, you know, that was on air at the time and, and eventually ended up uh, working on primarily on sports. So I was doing like the you know, CNN sports late night and sports tonight and this week in the NBA and this week in the PGA, whatever the shows were at the time and NFL Weekly, those kind of things, you know, 30 minute sports shows. And then, of course, Time Warner ended up buying Turner and Sports Illustrated sort of was part of the family at that point. And there was a whole channel, you know, CNN SI was a a whole network that was designed or uh, was, you know, branded for as Sports Illustrated, kind of a combination of CNN and Sports Illustrated brand. And I got to work on that network for for a while too, and, and ended up creating the website for them. It was the first website I'd ever done. So it was strange. You know, I walked into this, this job and really didn't know what it was about. And within, I think the first day I was actually working on the OJ trial. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah. But it, what a first day. Well, when I said I was working on it, I was literally just typing in, you know, like the little captions that would go like the video would squeeze back and there'd be like a caption at the bottom that would say, you know, what the news, what other news was going on. And it was like the, the first ticker, you know, the first like sort of news ticker that you see everywhere now. But all I was doing so was type. 
sorry to interrupt, but but that's that's what that's exactly what a broadcast designer does, right? Like designing some of the stuff you see on the screen. Absolutely. So you know, the I'd say the most straightforward, easiest thing to you know, we did everything from maps to you know backgrounds for you know open animations and things like that. But the biggest thing we probably did were over the shoulder boxes. So like you have the you know, the news anchor is sitting there explaining, you know, whatever story it is and through the hour. And then as the stories unfold, there'd be like a graphic over their shoulder that, you know, would sit there and, and be a visual representation of whatever the topic they were, you know, discussing. Mm. Today, it would be COVID, you know, so, and it was interesting. We would get like rundowns. We would get like basically a print printout of what the show was going to be, what the news hour or whatever the show was going to be. And then within that, there would be blocks, you know, like A block, D block, whatever, different periods of time. And, and as a designer, you would have to go through that. The producer would give it to you. And then you would have to find all the different places where they had highlighted that they needed a graphic. You know, they need a full screen graphic, a map of this location. They need an over the shoulder box about, you know, teen smoking, whatever it was mm-hmm. might be. And, um, you know, you'd have to go through and find all those things and then, you know, spend the next, you know, you literally, you'd only sometimes have, you know, sometimes it was minutes only before the show where, you know, like, because if, if news was breaking or something changed, you know, you'd have to drop everything and create something on the fly. And, you know, typically we'd have two or three, four hours before a show to get everything together. You know, for sports, it was a little bit slower, right? Because we knew when all the games were going to be played. So it was like even the day before, two days before, whatever, you might be working on stuff, prepping for it, doing everything in advance. I'm sure it only moves faster now. I mean, it was moving, it moved pretty fast back then, but you know, everything's sped up at these, these days. Now, in terms of the actual content, being shared like for example the the headlines and you know the, the stuff that gets your attention did you have to create any of those or do you get those already pre-created or pre-written and then you guys display it on on the screen yeah it's it's usually you know again this is a long time ago so you know this is mid 90s mm-hmm. uh and i'm sure it's completely different uh, at different places probably uh, but you know we had writers we had producers they for the most part dictated the written word. Now, as a designer, we could, you know, we had leeway. It's just like with anything, I mean, with ads or whatever. I mean, a lot of times you have to put on a copywriter hat. You know, if you find a way to either add language or tweak it to to tell the story better, you know, that's just up to the designer's discretion. But at the same time, it's always a team, you know, thing. So there were times where we might throw out an idea and then the producer would like it and we would, you know, go with it. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, they would provide the written part and we would have to find ways to visualize it and communicate it visually. Got you. All right. Well, that's very good information here. I had no idea. Um, Let's, let's dig a little bit deeper here. Take us behind the scenes. Now let's fast forward to your most recent job. Uh, Take us behind the scenes of what your day actually looked like at Turner Sports. If you could share with us some of the like sponsorship integrations and marketing campaigns that you created with your team. Well, I hate to say it, but I would say primarily what we focused on was building products. So, you know, the marketing and the sponsorship parts were super important and obviously, you know, were very important for the business. But as far as the work that we were doing, you know, we were working on like 60 to 70 apps a year. Mm for the major, for the major sponsor, for the major brands. I mean, the major sports leagues that we partnered with. And so the primary work that my group did was the product work, you know, and you've talked about it. You've seen the stuff. I mean, it's everything from, you know, every official app of the NBA all the way to March Madness and PGA, et cetera. Like there was just a ton of really big brands, really big products. And those took, you know, that that was mostly the focus and it took a lot of time. And I would say 
you know, it changed over the years, obviously. Um, but the sponsorship integrations, you know, primarily, you know, we ended up making probably most of the money that we make as a business was off of video, right? So it was all commercials, inserts, digital ads, mid-rolls and those kind of things. Mm. But the work my team would do is if there was, you know, a lot of times there'd be co-branded ad units that we would create, display ads, there would be presented by sponsorship placements that we would need to work into certain locations in the products. But then we did some fun stuff where we would do rich media ad units that would be like takeovers or sites or, you know, things where it was more of a branded experience. Like an example of that might be, you know, for NASCAR, we had this app where you could follow, it was kind of a second screen experience where you could watch the broadcast of the race, you could see different angles of the race, but you could also listen to different audio. Like you could listen to the car in car audio from the different drivers. You could, you could actually get, see their view, like in their, in the car, like in car cameras. And those, those cameras were all sponsored by Coke, uh, Coca-Cola on TV. Mm -hmm. And so naturally they were also sponsored by Coca-Cola online. And, you know, we ended up doing these things where we would create little micro sites within the the NASCAR experience that were just the Coca-Cola sponsored drivers. And you could go in and sort of chat about them. You could see the in-car camera view from, for just those guys and things like that. And so there were a lot of opportunities like that where we would, you know, obviously do, do a lot of work uh, with sponsorship integration. But it was, it was a juggling act was my point. As I think, you know, we were primarily focused on the products and creating the products themselves. But then, you know, as, as we got closer to each event, we've sort of shift gears into <laughs> a little racing term there, but a uh, little no pun intended, but we would shift gears. <laughs> into uh i can't believe i missed that one yeah sorry (laughs) but we would yeah we would start to focus on you know promotion of the products and any kind of integrations that we would need to do um it was a massive operation though i mean you know our team was one small piece of of a lot of you know really talented people working together and it's kind of an amazing you know amazing thing that's that's very cool man that's uh that's some of the stuff behind the scenes that nobody really thinks about and, you know, all the diff- the little details that you just mentioned, the different camera um, views and the sounds and man, that's that's some awesome stuff. Yeah, that's some very, very crazy like stuff. But uh, in terms of metrics, like, for example, were, were you guys part of that also in providing the insights to the advertisers, you know, letting people know where in the app that they actually go and spend the most time in and why this specific spot is more expensive than the other one? Or was that a completely different team analyzing the data yeah. and then selling the ads? Yeah, it was more of a different team. Um, mm-hmm. We were more of an execution team. So I'd say, you know, we were, we were more of a team that would come in and, and, you know, we would get requests like, for instance, like Powerade one time came in and wanted to create something around March Madness that had to do with statistics. And they had a product that was, I think it was like four point performance or something like that was their, their drink. And so our team would sit down in a room and sort of brainstorm, well, what do we have? What do we have access to? What kind of stats are available? How could we put some things together to align with this brand? And so naturally, you know, four point performance kind of speaks to you know, four different types of statistics. And so, you know, a team of like three of us would sit down and spend a day just whiteboarding and brainstorming and trying to figure out, you know, what would be the most interesting thing we would do. And we, we would always have an eye on well, what, how can we make this, you know, something that a fan would care about, right? It's not just doing something for a sponsor to get the money. It's, we need to have it be a win for both, right? So it needs to be really cool, really interesting, useful, something that someone as a fan would care about. And then two, 
provide value to the sponsor in, in the sense that it matches what their brand is trying to say, but it also, you know, makes the fan feel like, okay, well, this is, you know, I'm, I'm able to have this experience because of the sponsor, right. Uh, and make that connection. And so those are the kind of things that we would, we would get involved with. I think during some redesigns, you know, we would always, we had whole teams of, you know, a- analytics teams and data specialists and folks that would uh, collaborate with us, marketing everyone. And we would all sit together and, you know, I think we were more the receiver of the information. Like if someone told us, look, no one's clicking on this, this item or, this, you know, this, this section of the site or whatever's being ignored, then it would be to us, you know, be up to us from a UX perspective to try to figure out why is that? And can we make it better? Is there, is there something here? How can we tweak it? You know, what can we do to enhance it or, or just kill it, you know, altogether. So it just depends on the situation. And that's the kind of stuff where we were more in partnership with the data folks. Mm-hmm. You know, I think over the years, you probably get instinctual sort of like an understanding of what seems to work in some cases, you know, and so like what comes to mind is like, for instance, with, you know, like with NASCAR, um, and I keep going back to them, but you know, because I work, I worked on that for so long, but same thing for March Madness, you know, like imagery of players or athletes or drivers, action shots, those kind of things always work well, right? Mm-hmm. As, as opposed to anything else you want to try. So, mm-hmm. you know, just human, human faces and, 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 you know, hero, heroic, you know, figures like, so th- those are no brainers. And those kind of things, I think that, you know, over time, there was a lot of that kind of stuff that I think we were relied to, we were relied, we were relied upon to sort of remember and recall. And, and, you know, in the same time, as I say that you always have to be looking for something new and trying to break it up and be fresh and trying to push forward. and not just do the same old, same old all the time. So it's it was an interesting it's an interesting um, industry for sure. Very interesting, man. Very interesting, and and I know that you ended up winning an Emmy award. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. What 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 did you win for? Um, well, so again, I would say first of all, that was a team award. You know, I do have a trophy. Well, there I, is <laughs> there is there is the word me in team. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I I and win right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was a team award for March Madness. And what's awesome about that was, you know, there was, again, probably, you know, hundreds of people working together on that product for six or seven years mm-hmm. that led up to us winning. Um, you know, we had been nominated many, many years in the past. We had always lost. And, you know, the competition for that specific award, because it was a, it's a digital award for transmedia. And so it's a, it, you know, although it's an, it's a television event, this is the one, one of the few, you know, like ways you can win that isn't something that was on TV. So it's basically television on a device or, you know, in a different platform. And so our competition is really stiff. So you're like up against, you know, NFL, ESPN, you know, the Olympics, right? So you're up against the big boys. And so March Madness Live had been nominated, I, I want to say five or six times we had been nominated for PGA and Ryder Cup as well and, and lost. And it was honestly humbling, but at the same time, we were proud just to have a nomination. You know, it was nice to be a finalist. But we ended up winning it in 2017 for March Madness Live. And um, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I'm super, super proud of, of the fact that I got to play, you know, some part in that. And uh, I'm very, I'm looking at the trophy right now. I'm super, I can't believe it's up there. You know, it's awesome. That's awesome, man. Did you get to go to the show or I did? I did. I didn't. And I I declined to go because we had just never won it. And, you know, whatever. It was just like, you know what? It is what it is. Um, Come on, man. 
The, well, there's only a select few that get to go. Like I said, there's a there's about <laughs> a lot of people got these trophies, right? That worked on this team, so it was you know the executives could go and and handle that business, and it was all good. But I would say this: the biggest part that makes me really proud and happy is that there's a lot of you know my coworkers who I actually am friends with, and you know still to this day I'm in touch with them. I just saw one of them today, you know, because we no longer work together, but we're mm-hmm. still very we're still very close. And that's something that just we we can share, you know, as a team that, you know, it's a once in a lifetime type of deal. You know, I just don't expect something like that to happen. And, you know, I'm pretty proud of it. That's awesome, man. Congratulations on that. It's, it's an amazing feat. You know, it's not easy. I mean, in, in a competitive space like this one, it's, it's tough. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you, man. Now, tell us about the story as much as you can about how your time at uh, Turner Sports came to an end. And also, what was the first thing that came to your mind? You know, in, at what point in your life were you in when that happened? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, well, I think that, you know, the big picture is, is that, and this is no secret, you know, television numbers have been, you know, te- television has been struggling for years, you know, with subscriptions. Uh, cable numbers have been going down, cord cutters, et cetera. I mean, everyone has more choices these days. So it was something that the company and all, you know, broadcast companies, frankly, were dealing and have been dealing with for, you know, not just recently. So for many years and, you know, Turner primarily is, is a broadcast company. I mean, the work we did was, is all digital, but it was an extension of our broadcast relationships and our broadcast rights. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's why we ended up in a position where we were purchased by AT&T, which is what went down. And, you know, with all, all this, sort of situations, you end up with lots of reorganization and changes. Um, it's just part of, of the deal. Uh, and I got caught up in that. So, you know, I can't go into any details other than the fact that, you know, there was a reorg that happened and my role was eliminated. I would say that, uh, I was shocked, frankly, I was, um, you know, not to think that it couldn't happen to me, you know, everyone was sort of, and have been, you know, had been for years sort of thinking, you know, well, you never know what's going to happen, uh-huh. but I really didn't think, um, I thought we were in a, a good position. You know, we had done some, some amazing work. We had an amazing team. You know, we still had strong relationships, uh, with the leagues that we were, you know, providing, you know, um, servicing frankly. And so, I was definitely shocked. I was, I wasn't really prepared for it. And the first thing that came, you know, obviously came through my mind was, you know, I was hurt, you know, and then I was also worried, you know, about my family and uh, money and, you know, reflecting on it, which I've done a lot of, you know, (laughs) in the last year, I was very comfortable. You know, this job was one of those jobs where really great brands, really great work, you know, just the perfect storm of design technology and sports which I have a passion for all three and just, and just really great people, you know, to work with. And so it's one of those things where it's one of those jobs I wouldn't have walked away from, you know, that's a a long time to be at a place right now. I think any day, 12 years, 10, 11 years, whatever is a long time to be in one place. And, you know, I, I had stayed there for a reason. Uh, At the same time, I'm sure there was some complacency, right. That it started to seep in just because of that time. And I would say that, the next thought I had was, okay, now that this has happened, sure, there's bills and things to, to, to worry about, but what about the big picture, you know, what is next for me and what have I been missing? You know, where are my blind spots? And, you know, basically is this an opportunity now for me to kind of reassess myself and, and do something even better and not necessarily defined by 
climbing the corporate ladder, getting another similar related job, making more money, like not necessarily those, those factors, uh, maybe something completely new. Let's talk about the next steps, man, because I had a chance to take a look at, you know, your YouTube channel and, and see that artistic side of you, you know, and, and I know you mentioned from the beginning, you have a background in graphic design and obviously you need to be creative, uh, in that field. And tell us a little bit more about the artistic side of you that's coming out more now through that YouTube channel. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it all ties together. So essentially when I was in college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was kind of bouncing around between biology and, you know, all these, you know, scientific pre-med architecture. Like I was kind of going all over the place. I really didn't know what I wanted to do or what I was good at, frankly. Mm -hmm. And I ended up having an epiphany and I I've never had, I've only had one that I'm aware of, but I, that's how I would define it. I had an, I had an epiphany. I ended up taking all of my electives at once. Cause I got burned out on all this math and all these other, you know, classes. And I ended up taking, you know, like PE and art history and painting and sculpture or something like that. And mm -hmm. in the painting class, I found myself in a, in a trance essentially where I had no idea I had left this planet, but I had gone someplace that I didn't recall ever going. It was just, you know, I was, I was so deep into what I was doing. And one of my friends came into the class and, it was kind of like getting cold water, like throwing your face because we had been, we had had an argument earlier in the day and he had come in there to apologize basically and to kind of make up for what we did arguing about. And it shocked me when I saw him, I just was freaked out because I was, I, I was like a different person. Like I didn't even know where I was. And so it was interesting because that day I kind of was like, Oh crap, I'm an, I'm an artist. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be creating. I'm supposed to be making stuff. And mm -hmm. they, all these past experiences of like childhood, artistic endeavors that I had done all crystallized in one moment where I I'd, I'd never really considered them who I was. I just thought it was something I could do. So even through college, I had even after learning about graphic design and, and majoring in graphic design, I still in the back of my mind thought I'm going to be a painter. Like I'm going to be a, an abstract painter one day. That's what I want to do. And I chose graphic design because I was good at it and I liked it. And also because I could, but most importantly, because I can make money right out of school and pay off my loans. Right. And, um, but never, I never resolved that. So I just kept getting good jobs. I kept getting, um, you know, growing into leadership roles. I kept getting better, you know, promotions, more money and having fun. You know, I was having fun doing what I was doing, but I was going farther and farther away from this true, you know, expressive experience that I, I knew I wanted to explore. And so the YouTube channel started basically because after I got laid off and I was looking for work and before, and even before COVID happened, you know, I was, there wasn't a lot of, of jobs available uh, for, for my role, at least. And at least I wasn't finding success with that. And I said, you know what, I'm going to use this opportunity. I have time on my hands. I'm going to start painting again. I'm going to start documenting what I'm doing. And I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And it's not going to be about trying to make money. You know, maybe I can make something out of it one day. But for now, it's really more about me taking an opportunity to try to grow into this artistic role that I or whatever you want to call it, this this thing that I wanted to play with and experiment from from way back in the day that I just never never resolved. If that answers the question, no, yeah, absolutely, man. And and I mean that's that's basically part of this, the 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 cycle. You know, you want to go back to your roots a little bit more. I mean, that's kind of like what I'm getting from this. You know, able to to express yourself a little bit more, and, and then you can tell. You know, just by watching some of your videos and seeing some of the art that you're creating, and also when you pair that with your story. 
I think people are so people are so attracted to stories, you know, that's, yeah. you know, when we first spoke, that's one of the things that, you know, I was like, man, this is something that it's real, right? You feel the emotions, you feel like, you know, it's, it's really part of the reasons why you make those types of decisions. And I think people are, are interested in that. And, and through art, you're able to express a lot of that in a way that's more abstract, you know, than other ways, you know, but people yeah. will be able to interpret it in their own way, which is what the beauty of art is all about in in my opinion. Right. So, yeah. And would that, would that be talking about next steps about what's next for you? What is that in the horizon or are you looking to going back to probably, you know, the corporate world or what, what are you thinking? Yeah, I am. I'm really not, I'm really not going to try to pigeonhole myself. I'm just keeping my options completely open. I'm actually doing a lot of freelance right now still for some of the same clients, Mm -hmm. (laughs) same brands that I've Mm -hmm. always worked for. (laughs) I'm still picking up work. You know, I'm actually working for a a, a company right now called Pumpjack DataWorks that has a lot of relationships, really cool company, really smart people that do sort of like work for the same, you know, big, big sports brands, a lot of MLS, a lot of NFL and and NBA. And so I'm kind of got one foot in that world as well. Like I'm still playing around with graphic design and doing the same type of stuff. But I absolutely have another foot uh, firmly planted in the arena of art. And uh, I'm not trying to decide today what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, I think that I just have made it a point to focus on or at least not lose focus on the the artwork side of things. Like I, I just I neglected that for so long. And it's just one of those things where it makes my soul happy. You know, it gives me mm. a feeling, you know, I, I get to. It's, it's for me, it's all about discovery. I just love this idea. You can start somewhere and end up somewhere completely different. Uh, and not everything, you know, is going to turn out to be a masterpiece, but you know, it's really not about that. It's really more about the journey and the process. And that's kind of the way it is with life in general. So, mm. you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it's almost like a, a, a really a microcosm of that for me. And, and I, I just enjoy it. And I like the idea of being open-minded about both the artwork, you know, and what I'm going to be able to create, but also just about what the potential is and what I might end up doing one day. And I know that um, if I don't make it a practice, if I don't discipline myself and actually put in the effort and time, you know, my options will be more limited. Let's just put it that way. And so I'm kind of doing both. Does that make sense? I'm definitely not looking to run back into a corporate environment. You know, the company I'm working for now is a much more agile, smaller, nimble, entrepreneurial type, you know, environment. And, and I'm really enjoying that. Well, that's great, man. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure everything is going to pan out even better than maybe you anticipate. I think a lot of times when you have that kind of attitude, that's what happens, you know? Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing some more of of that art and uh, that artistic side of you. And, uh, yeah, keep pushing on that channel because again, it's, it's very authentic. It's, it's, it's very, artistic i know i'm repeating myself but no it's good but it is well listen I, and go ahead i mean not to interrupt but i i love that feedback right because mm-hmm. not i don't know what i'm doing you know what i mean like i'm going into this thing just trying to be myself i'm trying to to do something and you're not the first person that has has told me that it's 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 resonating with them it's it is authentic. It, and I'm, I honestly feel like there's probably a lot more there that I haven't even shared. You know, it's just, if that's already coming through, then I think that's fantastic. And it's great uh, to hear it. Absolutely, man. Because it reminds me of, of me. It reminds uh, me of yeah. 
what I'm doing now, you know, as far as the podcast, it reminds me of my artistic side that I always felt that was not, you know, put into motion enough, you know, whether it's, I use it a lot for my marketing campaigns and with my clients and stuff like that. I love doing that. I love, you know, setting up branding campaigns. I, I love that part of my job and that allows me to get creative. And that's one of the reasons why I even chose marketing. Right. I have a music background and I was never really able to have, you know, music as part of, you know, a career or develop it as a career. But with the marketing role that I have now, it allows me to even incorporate music in certain campaigns when it's necessary and allows me to be creative, you know? So that's, 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 I'm always attracted to that. And, and you with the YouTube channel is, it's, is to me is the same with, with, with the podcast. You know, I have, yeah, yeah. I, I literally, my first episode, I had no idea what I was doing. I, <laughs> I even right. found out that my very first episode that you could have a virtual background on your zoom. And I, I literally found out on the podcast while recording <laughs> it's at, it's actually part of the episode because I was yep. literally figuring this thing out and that was part of it. And that's why one of the taglines that we use is, or that I use is, uh, um, why fake it till you make it, if you can document it until you perfect it. Nice. So, and that's what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm literally trying to document everything and trying to learn through the process and hopefully I can share it with other people and that in the same similar situation. And, they can learn from it, you know, and the same for you. You know, the thing that I thought about when you said that was, and I have a, I'm a big believer in this too. Mm -hmm. When things are very formulaic and people know what they're doing, there's little room for innovation. Hmm. And I think that, you know, it's not that it should be that way all the time. I mean, it's obviously like, you know, you, you can learn a lot of things and there's lots of, you know, tools and tricks and tips and experience, you know, you can't obviously undervalue experience. It's great. But at the same time, Sometimes people just start out not knowing what they're doing and they stumble upon something, you know, it's called happy accidents. I mean, Bob Ross talked about that in his painting videos, right? You know, it's, <laughs> it's okay for a little bit. It's okay, right? For a little ran randomness to, to sort of enter the picture. And you're never going to start if you're just waiting for everything to be perfect or until you know, every single, you know, I think you know everything about something. You're never going to, you're never going to lift a finger if you wait. That oh. time will never come. Yeah. When you start when you start mentioning Bob Ross, you kind of <laughs> give away your age, man. <laughs> hey, look. Hey, you haven't been on Twitch lately. There's a lot of young kids going back to Bob Ross, man. Uh, <laughs> I I used to I don't even know why I used to I, I guess because it's it's his personality. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I used to love watching that. I don't know yeah. why. And I and I've never even painted before. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do. And I only brought him up because I, I loved I was recently in a video, I was talking about, you know, happy, you know, happy accidents. And that it's just, I see that in a lot of different things, all the way from graphic design to, you know, it doesn't matter to any creative mm -hmm. endeavor. It's just, you know, there's something to be said about being a little bit naive and just going into something with, you know, the good, a good attitude and a positive mm -hmm. approach and just letting things work themselves out. And not be afraid to make your mistakes. I mean, you're going to make them. And, you know, if you heard the terms, you know, fail fast, fail forward, all those things, it's true. You know, you have to, mm -hmm. you just have to get out there and try something and, you know, not be afraid. I almost didn't post my first YouTube video just because I was nervous and worried about it. And I'm still like, when I make them to this day, I'm still like, you know, learning and growing and, but it, I'm happy that I did, you know, I'm happy that I put it out there. Yeah, man. It's don't be afraid, man. I know it's easy to say, um, but me the same, actually my first episode I did twice. 
Uh, so I, yeah. I, I didn't like it. I was like, I'm not going to put this out as my first episode. Yeah. You know, not that the second one was that much better, but there were few <laughs> things that I, that I thought I did better. And there was, there are still some episodes that I'm like, man, this, this not, this is not good, but, <laughs> but it's part, I, I, I'm okay with it now. I'm like, listen, right. Because I'm on episode, you know, 14, 15. And, um, and I'm like, okay, well, I, I have a hundred, a thousand more to go. I want to be able to hit the exactly. 1000 mark. Right. And exactly. by then I, I, I will be very happy to, to look back and see the progress that I've made in the journey that I've gone through. So anyway, man, it's, it's, it's been fun. Eh, Randy, really, I, I, I enjoyed uh, learning about your journey and it's great. And thank you for sharing some of that stuff. I think these stories need to be heard by, by people that are in similar situations, especially with what's going on right now. Right. A lot of people are losing their jobs. A lot of people have to actually pivot and, and fast and find a way to, uh, you know, turn the page and, 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 and start new, you know? So, yep. um, I hope they find some good inspiration from, from this interview. And I wish you the best of luck. And for sure, we'll be in touch. And um, yeah, man, if anybody wants to reach out to you in any way, what's the best way for, for them to do that? Um, probably just through my Instagram, actually. Um, mm -hmm. It's RLD underscore studio. It's the same name as my YouTube channel, which is RLD studio. That's probably the easiest way these days. I also have a website, same name, RLD dash studio. So whatever. You can find me, Google me, you'll find me. Perfect. I'd be happy, you know, I'm happy to connect with people, especially, you know, anyone who's struggling with their situation creatively, you know, I'm happy to help in any possible way I can. I'm still trying to figure it out too, you know, so it's always good for creatives to support each other. Perfect, man. Again, great work and my best to you. Uh, stay safe and we'll be in touch. Thank you, man. Same to you. It was a pleasure. You got it, man. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to the Getting Social Podcast. If you've made it that far, it means you probably liked it. In that case, leave us a review, subscribe, and please share it with a friend.